0: Please pray with me. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be pleasing and acceptable in your sight, O God, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. You may be seated. I once read that God is a victim of fair weather, friends. If I were God and had been treated the way we humans treat him, I would have kicked this old world to pieces a long time ago. I was recently reminded of this when someone told me what happened to a friend of theirs in the church they used to attend. She said that one Sunday morning, the pastor stood up in front of the congregation and said, I am sick of all your sinning. I'm sick of carrying the burdens of all your sins, so you just need to leave the church. Most of them did. There's some humor, and yet as we think about it, we're stunned and saddened by this pastor's response to his congregation, as it certainly isn't filled with love or grace. Yet there are times in certain circumstances, with certain people, that our response may not be that much different. We all know what it's like to deal with difficult people, to be hurt by them. Sometimes the pain is so deep we seek revenge, while other times we just want to be done with them. We don't care if we ever see them again. As Christians, We know these shouldn't be our responses. We know that we should respond with love and grace. But we still struggle with all of the emotions and thoughts that go with it, leading us to believe that we have two options, to stay and fight or to run in flight to escape all that is happening. But what if there was a third option, a more radical option, a far more difficult option. What would happen and what would it look like if we chose the option to stay and love? It is this third option that we find in the book of Hosea. Hosea is a prophet of God in the 8th century who preaches repentance to the Israelites, God's chosen people with whom he's made a covenant. God sees this covenantal relationship with the Israelites as a familial one, such as a marriage covenant where they are committed to one another in love and faithfulness, or as a parent child relationship where God's love and faithfulness is expressed as he tenderly raises Israel from the time they are young, teaching them to walk, nurturing them, and caring for them. But in spite of all that God has done, the Israelites are unfaithful to him. Hosea 1.2 says that Israel is guilty of the vilest adultery in departing from God. Hosea 4:1 tells us that there is no faithfulness, no love, and no acknowledgment of God in the land. And 4:11 says they consult a wooden idol and are answered by a stick of wood. It's incredible to ponder that even as the Israelites go through the motions of worshiping God, they continue their ongoing worship of idols. Because the Israelites struggle with idolatry, they don't truly know God and they definitely don't behave like his chosen people. Basically, Israel is a mess. In the midst of Israel's mess, God tells Hosea to marry a woman named Gomer. Gomer is unfaithful to their marriage covenant as she is lured away by other men and what they have to offer. Though Gomer is not discreet in her repeated affairs, Hosea continues to love her. Hosea's marriage to Gomer becomes a living object lesson for the Israelite people, illustrating their sins against God and God's response to them. As the Israelites' relationship with God continues to deteriorate, so does Hosea and Gomer's marriage until one day... Hosea discovers Gomer on the slave block. God tells Hosea to buy Gomer back to take her home and to love her. So Hosea buys Gomer for 15 shekels and a homer and a half of barley. The going price for a slave is 30 shekels, which means that if her master is willing to sell her for 15 shekels, he sees her as damaged goods. Damaged goods have little value, if any, making them undesirable. We were reminded of this at the Memorial Day sale this past May. We had been cleaning out our basement, my parents' basement, and we ended up with quite a few knickknacks. So we had the idea to bring down some heavy plastic shelving to display the various knickknacks. At least we thought it was a good idea to bring the heavy plastic shelves, and we thought that they were heavy. About midway through the morning, we discovered that the shelves were no match for the gust of wind. We also discovered that the dishes and breakable items were no match for the pavement. As I was picking up the broken dish pieces, I yelled out that those items were now half price. (laughs) Amazingly, no one wanted our damaged goods. Because of her sins, Gomer is damaged goods. Because of their sins, the Israelites are damaged goods. Because of our sins, we're damaged damaged goods. Like the Israelites, we're unfaithful to God. We reject God in various ways, leaving us as broken people living in bondage to our sin and the guilt that goes with it. We live with feelings of worthlessness as we try to cover up our sins or pretend they don't exist. Our sins and the distance they create between us and God leave us with broken dreams, broken hearts, and broken lives. Now, we want to think that we aren't like Gomer, committing adultery over and over, being sold on the slave block. However, Paul in Romans 7 tells us that we are unspiritual, sold as slaves to sin, we also like to think that we aren't, like, we aren't sinning like the Israelites by worshiping idols, that we have overcome our attraction to idols. I doubt that any of us has a golden calf in our homes or in our backyards. But what about when we fail to recognize and accept the love and grace of God in our lives? Or when we don't fully surrender ourselves to God because of our stubborn independence. Or when we fail to give God, to share with him, to entrust to him our deepest dreams and longings. Or when we have substituted something or someone else in the place of God in our lives that is meant only for him. Stanley Jones once said, All of us go into the shrine of our hearts and bend our knee to something or someone. All of us are tempted to substitute some cheap, lifeless idol in place of the true and living God. Martin Luther said, Whatever the heart clings to, Whatever the heart relies upon, that is properly thy God. Like the Israelites, we still struggle by trying to worship God while we worship our idols, but we don't usually realize how much it's costing us until it's too late. When the British divided the great subcontinent of India between India and Pakistan in 1946, they thought they had solved a problem. Instead, they created a thousand more. Overnight, India was plunged into a great bloodbath as Hindus and Muslims began to fight and kill one another. In Calcutta, a group of young Muslims formed a kind of radical revolutionary army that seized control of an area of the city that was predominantly Hindu. The group went from house to house, pulling people out of their homes, often killing them. In those days, the Christians in Calcutta painted a huge red cross on their doors to tell everyone, leave us out of this. We are not Hindu, we are not Muslims, we are Christians. On one street, there were four Christian families living side by side in four little apartments. Each one of these families had painted the red cross on their front door. When the young Muslims eventually reached these four apartments, they passed by the first, second, and fourth doors. But at the third door, an argument ensued, ending in the deaths of all the occupants of that home. The first door, with the Red Cross, the occupants were safe. The second door, with the Red Cross, the occupants were safe. The fourth door, with the Red Cross, the occupants were safe. So what was so different about that third door? The people who lived in that apartment were carpenters by trade. Although they were Christians, they were carving Hindu idols on the side and selling them at the bazaar to make a little extra money. When those fierce monotheistic Muslims who spit at the very sight of an idol heard that those so-called Christians were carving Hindu idols, they said, They're not Christians. We don't care what they profess. They have idols in their homes and they deserve to die. So they wiped out the entire household. Some of us may have a cross on the outside of our lives. We claim that God rules our lives, but we have allowed an idol into our hearts. And then we wonder why we live with an underlying sense of disappointment, sorrow, and feelings of emptiness. Is it any wonder that, the, that Scripture forbids all forms of idolatry and warns about putting anything, even good things, in place of God? So how does God respond to our idolatry, unfaithfulness, and rejection? Because God is just and his holiness and righteousness cannot compromise with or tolerate sin, we deserve judgment and punishment. We have no argument of God's rejection of us. God's decision to judge us... Who he so dearly loves is not a cold and heartless act. It is justice, righteousness, and truth. It's what we deserve. But our relationship with God has never completely been defined by what we deserve. To help us understand this, Hosea pictures God as a father who has tried everything to help his rebellious child, but has found that nothing works. Like a parent who loves their child, but knows they have to discipline them, God struggles with his decision until finally, in Hosea 11.8, he cries out in an agony of love, How can I do this? Can you hear the longing and brokenness in God's voice as he asks his beloved children, How can I give you up? How can I hand you over? God's questions reveal truths about the Israelites and us, as well as truths about God and who he is. These questions reveal the human struggle with sin, the desire for our own way, the belief that we can live in our own strength and power. Because of our sin, our rejection of God, God has every right to give up on us. And this is what makes Hosea's revelation of God so unusual. These questions How can I give you up? How can I hand you over? Reveal the truths of God's heart. His compassion, love, and grace. That God has loved and will love sinful, broken, damaged people. These questions don't suggest that God is confused or that he doesn't know what to do. Rather... They simply express the intensity of God's love for his children. God's love is so far beyond our comprehension because we know how we respond to rejection and the hurt and pain that go with it. We give up on people and life all the time. Our love is measurable. We love the lovable, the deserving. Those who love us in return. However, Hosea 11.9 reminds us that God is God and not human. How can I give you up? How can I hand you over? Reveal to us God's infinite tenderness, his steadfast, unfailing love, and his grace to us. Someone has defined grace as, as arms open wide. Grace defined as tears with cheeks, with tears coming down its cheeks, saying, come home. God's questions remind us that God does not love us because of what we do or because of what we are. God's love and grace is for everyone. For children, for women, for men, for the poor, for the rich, for the weak, for the strong, for sinners, for all of us. God loves us because of what he is, and he is love. Tolstoy said, Where love is, God is a high school principal who was continually dealing with a rebellious, foul-mouthed problem student finally set the young man down in his office one day, looked him in the eye, and said, "I care about you because you're important to me, and I want you to know that I can be nicer to you longer than you." Can be mean to me. That sounds a lot like God, doesn't it? God holds us with a love that won't let us go. And until we personally experience and know this love, we can never fully understand God. So, through this Old Testament book of Hosea, chapter 11, We come to understand God more as we see right into His infinitely loving heart. And as we do, it is as if we see the face of Jesus looking right back at us. And it is this face of Jesus that reminds us that the love. Grace and forgiveness that God offers is not cheap. In fact, it costs God everything. But He still loves us with an unceasing, unstoppable love. God comes, God loves, God stays. Even when God has every right to leave us, to reject us, these questions, how can I give you up, how can I hand you over, remind us that he chooses to stay despite our sinfulness, which is a struggle for all of us. In one way or another, there are times when we are so deeply entrenched in our sin that we can't get ourselves out of the mess we are in. Mark Twain once wrote a story bearing the title, The Terrible Catastrophe. Before he had finished the story, he had worked his characters into such a predicament that whatever any one of them did, they would all be destroyed. Contemplating his creation, Twain concluded by writing, I have these characters in such a fix, I can't get them out. And this is just where we find ourselves. We are in a fix, and we can't get ourselves out on our own. Our sin is too deep seated, too entangled so much so that sometimes it feels like its tentacles are wrapping around our hearts. We feel powerless, so we need help. We need God's help. No one knows this more than he does. God, from the depths of his eternal love, changes his mind, refusing to treat his children, the Israelites, as they deserve. God knows that the Israelites and all of us need his love, grace, and forgiveness. In a recent interview, when actress Demi Moore was asked, what is your greatest fear? She answered, what scares me most is that I'm going to ultimately find out at the end of my life that I'm not really lovable, that I'm not worthy of being loved. Somewhere in the depths of our beings, we may have these same fears It is in many ways the epitome of our human condition as we continually wonder, can any of us ever be worthy of God's love? Which is why it's so significant that God's questions, how can I give you up, how can I hand you over, are to people who've turned against him and committed themselves to idols to people who are truly unworthy of love, tells us that worth has nothing to do with it. It all rests on God's heart of love. Hosea tells us in no uncertain terms that God does love us with an amazing love and that his love conquers everything. Remembering this truth is essential in those times when our sin overtakes us and we wrestle with the guilt that goes with it. So what do we do with our sin and guilt? Hosea 12.6 tells us, But you must return to your God, maintain love and justice, and wait for your God always. To return to our God is another way of describing repentance. Hosea 14:1 through 3 instructs us how to repent. We honestly tell God what we've done, the sins we've committed. There's power in speaking the words that can break the clutches of darkness. A major part of our repentance is verbalizing our genuine desire for forgiveness. For the Israelites, this happens when they finally come to the place where they want God more than they want their idols. And it's really the same for us and our idols. Sometimes we come to this conclusion quickly Other times, it's a monumental battle. But it always involves coming to this conclusion. And as we do, we return to God because true repentance is just that, coming back to God, wanting him more than those idols that grip us. We can almost hear Hosea pleading come back come back if you only knew how much god loved you you would come back god also tells us in hosea 14 that he will heal our waywardness and love us freely he will forgive us and redirect our lives as he infuses us with his love we just need to receive it the truth is god's love can only be limited by our refusal to accept it gomer didn't have to go home with hosea after he bought her off the slave block gomer could have thought hosea's offer of grace she could have ignored it she could have run from it even though it would have meant her remaining in slavery we too have this choice we only experience the love and forgiveness of god when we truly open ourselves to it when we want it and when we willingly accept it as we choose to follow god's love grace and forgiveness and allow it to truly impact our lives we are transformed. This forgiving love and grace inevitably creates a response in us, a response to love others with grace and forgiveness as God does us. I read about a woman who said that she has made love her reason for living. I wonder what would happen if we made love our reason for living. So that is our first response. Our most natural response is to give out love and grace to others, even when they hurt us. What a difference that would make in our lives, especially in relation to what we are up against at this very moment. Clovis Chapel, a noted preacher of the last century, tells of a young man from Chicago who went down to the bluegrass regions of Kentucky where he met and married a young woman. Together, they returned to Chicago where they enjoyed three wonderful years of marriage until one day, in the midst of sickness, in a seizure of pain, the young woman lost her mind. When she was at her best, she was a bit demented. At her worst, she would scream for hours. Because the neighbors complained about her screaming, the young man left their home in the middle of Chicago, went out to one of the western suburbs to build a home determined to help his wife get better. One day... Their family doctor suggested that perhaps if the young man were to take his wife back to her Kentucky home, that something in those familiar surroundings might help restore her sanity. So they went back to the old Kentucky homestead. As they walked hand in hand through the house, it seemed as if memories hung "'on every corner. "'They walked down by the garden "'and then down by the river "'where the first violets were in bloom. "'But after several days, "'nothing seemed to change. "'So defeated and discouraged, "'he put his wife back in the car "'and they headed back to Chicago. "'As they got close to their house,' he happened to look over and discover that she was fast asleep. It was the first deep, restful sleep she had had in many weeks. When they arrived home, he gently picked her up out of the car, carried her into their bed, laying her down, allowing her to continue sleeping. As the evening air cooled, he tenderly placed a blanket upon her and then just sat and watched her through the night until the first rays of sunlight came streaming through the windows. As the woman awoke and saw her husband seated next to her, she said, It seems as though I've been... On a very long journey, where have you been? Her husband, weary after days, weeks, and months of patient waiting and watching, said, I've stayed right here with you, waiting for you all this time. It's through Hosea's love for Gomer that we are able to catch a glimpse of the incredible depths of God's love for us. Hosea reveals the heart of God, crying out, How can I let you go? How can I give you up? How can I hand you over and it's Hosea's painful marriage that mirrors God's persevering grace, seeking to redeem his sinful, broken, damaged people. God comes, God loves, God stays. Hosea challenges us to ask ourselves, to whom or what are you bending Your knee. To what are you clinging. Relying on. Is there something. In your life. That's preventing you. From experiencing. The fullness of God's love. Grace. And forgiveness. Are you withholding. Love. Grace. And forgiveness. From someone else. Or are you uncertain of God's unconditional love for you. If so, may you with reckless abandon cast yourself upon the grace of God and truly discover what it means to be loved by him who is faithful to you. Let us pray. Father, How is it that you know us better than we know ourselves, and yet you still love us? Forgive us for our sins against you and for the idols we cling to. Help us to release them as we open ourselves to your incredible love, grace, and forgiveness. Amen.